You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Clinton Campbell. Clint, how are we doing, man? I'm good, brother. I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's always uh, it's always good to talk to you. Just jumped out of work. I left a work meeting early because I was like, you know what? To my boss, I was like, hey, check it out. I'm talking to uh, Dan Johnson. I'm not sure if you know about him or not. <laughs> but uh, this really important brand planning meeting we got going on has got to be put on pause because I got to talk some gear. He's kind of a big deal. Uh, in, he's kind of he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He understood. He's like, oh yeah, that guy, dude. He's like, get going, yeah. get out of here. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> well, I, appre- I appreciate you taking time out of your your busy day to hop on and chat with us today. And uh, here on the Hunting Gear Podcast, that's what we're going to talk about is hunting gear and equipment. And we're just going to kind of shoot from the hip today. But I do. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have to do a little bit of, uh, I got to do a commercial uh, on the podcast first before we get into the episode. And the only reason I'm doing it now and not editing, 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 editing it in later is because I've been up in my office all day and I got three crazy kids downstairs. So I'm going to put it in now and that way I can, uh, I don't have to do any audio with any screaming kids in the background later. Is that cool? Do it live. Doing, Do yeah, it live. Doing it live. All right. Um, so first, first company I want to talk about. We're gonna we're gonna go through these real quick. Um, the Average Conservationist. The AverageConservationist.com. It is a lifestyle brand. They are a uh, uh, t-shirts, hats, awesome logos, uh, hooded sweatshirts, really cool logos. The cool thing about this company is that it is. Uh, they give 10% of all of their profits right off the bat to some form of conservation effort, right? They're also a 2% for conservation certified business. So th- those are two big wins right now. So not only do they um, 
have awesome clothes, hats, hoodies, and all that stuff. They also give back to conservation. And so not only do they talk the talk, but they walk the walk, right? So if you want to save uh, 10% off of any purchase from the average conservation, average conservationist, you can uh, enter the discount code NFC10. That's uh, for 10% off. Next, we're going to talk about Hunt Stand. Hunt Stand is probably the, no, I don't want to say probably, it is the number one most downloaded hunting app that's currently available. Uh, They have uh, like the amount of features that they have compared to all the other uh, hunting apps on the market is there's no comparison. They have satellite imagery that is uploaded on the monthly. So every month they try to have the most up to date satellite imagery that's available. And, uh, they have all the other stuff that you want to like landowner information, property boundaries. Uh, so check out hunt stand. You can go download that from the Google Uh, Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps. And then if you want uh, 20% off that, if you want 20% off $40 because $40 gets you an annual fee, is their annual fee, uh, you can enter the discount code SN20 and that will get you 20% off the $40. And then lastly, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. Uh, You hear me talk about Lone Wolf all the time. Badass tree stand, awesome for the mobile hunter. And uh, you can enter the discount code 9FC21, and that's going to get you $50 off of any Lone Wolf purchase that's over $200. So there's the commercials. That's how I pay my bills. Clint, let's talk gear. You down? Let's talk gear. They sound like some uh, hellacious deals, though, Dan. I know. I know, right? I, I I love it. I think that's... Every time I actually have one of these conversations with a, a, a potential sponsor of anything that I'm doing, I'm like, okay, what can I get that I can pass along to the end user? Yeah. Because that's, yeah. I, I don't know, I just, I love getting discount codes from the things yeah. that I, I listen to. And uh, yeah. so, I don't know. I love it. I love it. My wife hates it. That's that's the relationship with the <laughs> discount code in my house. <laughs> but honey, I'm saving twenty uh, percent. I don't care. It's still money out of our bank account. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know about you because um, Clint here has the Truth from the Stand podcast. Talks a lot about hunting, so I, I strongly suggest everybody uh, go over and listen to that as well. But I have a lot, and I'm and I don't mean a lot like a normal person a lot i mean i i wear a hunting or brand t-shirt every single day because i get them for free through all of the connections that i have throughout the hunting industry so i i don't think i've bought a t-shirt in like seven years yeah i would i would agree with you um my wife it's funny because it used to be band t-shirts for me whenever i was in bands and touring and stuff like that because every time you would play with somebody you would get a shirt and so my wife would do laundry back in the day when we would hang clothes out on the line uh, for people that are younger than us may not know what that looks like, but we would have a clothesline pole in the backyard. And and we lived in Florida at the time, so we would sun dry you know, our clothes essentially. And she would do her wash and you could see where her clothes were at and mine started because mine were all black band t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And now it's just transitioned to where they're all black hunting t-shirts, right. you know? Right. Um, but I, I will say I'm getting thin on the t-shirt front only because I've ruined most of them either uh, remodeling my basement or scouting. So okay, <laughs> people out there listening, if you got some shirts that you'd like to hook a brother up with, uh, uh, let me know. Yeah, so to all the brands, if you, if you are connected with a hunting company in any way, shape, or form, um, my man Clint here, he could use some t-shirts. So hook That's them right. up. All That's right. right. Let's talk gear. 
first question, high level. Um, what is your, like, how do you view gear when it comes to your, your whitetail hunting? Hmm. So I, I think like everything else, you know, hunting related, it's probably transitioned through the years. Um, I would say probably earlier as I didn't have, it's maybe just say for lack of, and I'm not an expert. I don't want to, you know, uh, position myself like that, but the, let's just say, but when I didn't have as much knowledge per se, right. I would, I would rely on gear more so than I do now, I think is where, is what I'm trying to say. And partially it was because I was trying to find an elixir. I was trying to find something that was going to help me. So gear became really, really important to me. Um, and I would try almost anything to try to get a leg up. I think as I've gone and you know, just matured and you know have become a better hunter and kind of understand things a little bit more, gear has become actually even more important than it was before because now I actually understand the application that I need it for yeah. and how it's actually going to help me. Where before it was more of like, you know, it's almost like watching a two-year-old buck during the rut where he's running from doe bedding to doe bedding just trying to find anyone that you could, lay, you know, lay it down with. You know, where he watched the mature deer, he shows up second week in November because he's like, yep, I'm about ready to wreck everyone's party here real quick because now it's time. Yeah. You know, and it's just knowing that distinction where before, you know, when I was younger and didn't quite know as much, I was just trying to find any answer. And I didn't really care if the answer fit me or not. And I think as – as you go and, you know, in life in general, but with hunting specifically for this conversation, you start to define more so who you are, what works for you, what you're good at, what your weaknesses are and things of that nature. And then you really understand how gear kind of fits into your repertoire and and, and what pieces are critical and what gap it's going to help you fill and how it's going to help you be better and how it's going to help you facilitate the way you want to hunt. Yeah. And so I think for me now, it's like I've actually become – I'm still a gear nerd and I like gear, but I've become more and more of a minimalist to a degree. And the gear that I do have kind of serves very specific roles for me, I think is maybe one way to say it. Gotcha. It's almost like you turn the noise down, right? Yeah. And yeah. And then you're just real efficient on all the information that's coming into you about the gear that you want to use. Yeah. And I'm still open to try things. Like yeah. I'm always open to like, you know, if, if there's something new that comes out and I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I could see an application for that. I, I'm not a person that's going to poo poo it just because other people don't think it's cool or something like that. You know, it's like, right. oh, this isn't cool. It's not hip or whatever. I don't really care about that. I'm more of, is it functional? Can it help me? I'll at least take a look at it and give it a try. Or I'll talk to someone who has used it that I respect, you know, their opinion and, you know, and their kind of perspective on gear. Maybe we hunt similarly or in similar areas or whatever the case is. And get their kind of two cents on it, too. And if they're like, yeah, you know, I thought it was going to do the same thing you thought and it didn't work out for me. And, and so they moved off of it. Then I might not try it. But if I'm getting kind of just generally good kind of feedback from it and I feel like it will be something I would use consistently, then I'm always down to try new stuff for sure. Yeah. So back in the day, uh, you mentioned, you know, you were looking for that elixir. A lot of people mm -hmm. call those gimmick type products. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Do you do you remember any gimmick? type products that that you bought that you thought hey man it was gonna this was this is gonna help me slay the giant yeah yeah for sure man i mean i think we've all kind of fallen prey to like the scent control stuff at some point in our life you know yeah. and i think that that was probably the biggest one for me and i'm not, i'm not don't want to bash any brands necessarily you know um because everyone's got you know trying to trying to make a living and then i'm sure there's some validity to stuff that they claim too i don't think that it's all necessarily you know in, incorrect i think you know sometimes they might 
uh, bend the truth a little bit might be one way to say it. But, you know, for example, like cover sense and stuff like that, I'll just leave it at that. And there's a lot of different brands from, you know, whether you're using, you know, the wafers and stuff like that, or whether you're using, you know, some type of like nose jammer or something like that. That was one thing that I was using at, at, at one point, you know, in, in my hunting journey that I thought was going to help give me a leg up. And I just, I wasn't seeing results from things like that. Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter was, is I was trying to cover up a deficiency that I had in my hunting game that I hadn't learned yet. Yeah. And what I hadn't learned at that point yet was I understood I needed to work the wind and I needed to play the wind, but I hadn't figured it out yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I hadn't understood, I didn't get to the point that I understood like, okay, my prevailing, my, what is the, what is the wind, you know, the stream doing as far as the current is versus the prevailing wind versus a the thermal and how are those things all kind of working together? And once I got to a point to where I understood how those things played, scent control things just kind of fell by the wayside to now where like I I don't I mean I keep my stuff in a scent free tote and stuff like that, but it's like I put it on and I basically just do that so it's like it doesn't smell like garlic from my wife cooking. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> right. otherwise it's like I throw my stuff on and I jump in my truck and I wear my boots and I go hunt. You know, and and that's just kind of how I do it now. And I've had I've had just as many encounters and, you know, and killed deer in, you know, different states and stuff like that where I don't have the option to have a lot of scent control. And that's really what sold me on it, where I was like, once I figured out how to play the wind in the thermals effectively, that thing just that stuff just didn't become as or became less important. Right. Essentially. That's a good point that uh, not a lot of people bring up, uh, to be honest with you, is they're looking for a product that will make them a better hunter. But going out, making those failures, becoming a better hunter will actually then teach you that, hey, man, I don't need I don't need some of this stuff. But on the flip side, I will say this. And it's funny how this is where, you know, people will say, hey, man, you know, that's bullshit or or Mm -hmm. I don't like I don't you know, you're wrong. I, on the other hand, like for me, I've seen nothing but good things with Mm -hmm. uh not the not the wafers that are <laughs> that you hang on your hat, but right. the, like the nose jammer, the stuff you spray on your boots and and for your access routes and things like that. I've right. actually seen really good results in that. So it's 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 also kind of crazy where um, different people and different experiences have you know different results in, in using products. And let's just say here's a random example. Let's say a grunt call, right? Mm-hmm. You uh, you blow a grunt call. And it turns a giant around and he comes right into you. You kill him. You're going to think, God, that's the best grunt call on the market. And then you have another one where I, I do the same. I'm in the same exact scenario and he doesn't even look at me. And you're like, oh, this grunt tube sucks. There's no way I'm ever going to use it again. Right. And right. and people have these different experiences and it could it, it's the same exact product. Yeah. It's not yeah. built any different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And it wasn't that I necessarily didn't see, you know, uh, effectiveness, effectiveness with those products. It, it just got to a point to once I understood what I was doing and I started, you know, I started kind of planning and understanding my access better and access better and things like that. It became one of those things where it's like, is it, is it an extra step that I need to take? And is the risk worth like the, the, the time to do it and, and buying it? My answer just became no, you know, yeah. and for some people it might, it might be. And I'm not saying I don't use scent products at all you know it's like i like for example it's like i will use ozonics i don't use it in a tree but i use it to clean my clothes whenever i go on trips because i can't wash them you know what i mean and so it's like i'm a believer in that kind of stuff of trying to be as as scent free as i can be but i just don't you know it got to the point at, at some points that i was being i was so neurotic about it that it was ruining 
it was ruining my experience because I was so hung up on like trying to be as scent free as possible that my prep work before I left to go hunt was miserable. Yeah. And I just was like, you know what? I'll figure it out. I just need to hunt the wind and understand that. And once I do that, it's going to, it's going to kind of make a lot of this stuff a moot point at that, yeah. you know, at some point. And that's, and that's just kind of where I got to, um, you know, where it became, if I'm giving up something, I'm willing to give that up because I, I feel like I'm just enjoying, enjoying it more. Yeah. Great point. All right. So as you're kind of going through this cycle of learning that, right, hey, you've learned how to become a better hunter uh, it, and then it, uh, it you get rid of all the, the gimmicky products, the elixirs, like you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Did other products begin to pop up on your radar? Like, oh, man, uh, after doing my research and after knowing what I know now, this this product seems like a no brainer or this I, w- I want to give this product a try. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I had a recent one. Like I've gone round and round with and sticking on almost the, the topic of sense, but more uh, more specifically lures. I've gone round and round with that stuff to where it's like you know early on you know I was you know trying to build mock scrapes and I was just having no success at it, and then I found some preorbital that I liked that kind of that worked relatively well, um, but I still felt like it was somewhat hit and miss, and so I kind of went away from it again. And I recently just kind of spoke with you know uh, Troy Pottinger. I mean, if anybody knows who he is, like dude kills giant bucks in Idaho where he's battling. He's trying to kill bucks that, you know, grizzly bears and mountain lions and wolves are also trying to kill. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like it, it's challenging area. And he has an approach to mock scrape building that is just like freakishly detailed. And so I'm actually kind of back in on like trying a new approach to mock scrapes using kind of his method and the stuff that he likes to use. And so that's one thing that as I kind of developed as a hunter and, you know, I, I started kind of more so adopting probably like a combination of like you know, the, the beast mode of hunting and like a little bit of like the way John Eberhart hunts, um, and especially kind of focusing on scrapes under security cover and stuff like that to where it kind of got me back, you know, full circle of thinking about, you know, how I'm hunting scrapes and can I do anything to kind of, you know, maybe move a deer that is not willing to kind of move out of like a certain area to give me a shot opportunity. Can I move him by kind of creating a scenario for him? that he feels comfortable in with like a destination spot, you know, and that's something that Troy does. And that's what I kind of picked up from him. And so, you know, he has a lot of success with it. And so, you know, I'm like, hell, you know, if he's, if he's doing it and having success, you know, I'm willing to at least try it. And that's what, you know, going back to what I said before, things that are working for guys who I have a lot of respect for, I'm always willing to try it. It may not work for me, but I'll never know unless I try it. And I'm not willing, I'm not one of those people who's not willing to try and fail. That just means I learned something new. It doesn't work for me or it does and I can move and I can move on. So right. that's one of the things that I'm really kind of re reinvestigating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's move to a, uh, another high level question. Des- describe your hunting. Um, how do I put this? You know, the buzzword here is mobile right? Mobile, hunter, right. you know, yeah. saddle, um, take your tree stand in with you every time, you know, public land. Mm-hmm. Those are the buzzwords that, that we are, that we hear about. Um, describe yeah. your methodology towards, uh, mm-hmm. how you hunt and then talk about the gear that makes you that type. Right. So I think, yeah, and you're right, man. It's like, we've heard all those, you know, mobile hunting and stealth hunting and hang and bang or whatever the, the, the term is, right. We've heard them called a, a ton of different things, you know, and I guess that I'm, I'm all those things, I guess. But if I were to kind of 
describe the way I try to hunt or my approach and what I'm trying to ultimately develop into is, you know, I'm a big football nerd. I grew up watching the Steelers, you know, grew up watching the Dick LeBeau defenses and things like that. And the one term that I always liked that they used for the Steeler defense was it was multiple and that you they could no matter if you were a running team, a passing team or whatever, we could count, we had the skill set and the kind of de- defensive framework to play you know, a multiple defense to where we can match up with almost anything. And so that's what I kind of strive to do is I try to be multiple in my hunting approach to where if I need to hunt from the ground, I can, if I need to hunt from a tree, I can, if I need to hunt from a saddle, I can, if I need to hunt at 20 feet or 30 feet, I can, if I need to hunt at five feet off the ground or four feet off the ground, I can, if I need to use water access, I can, you know? And so I'm always kind of striving that like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's mobile, but I think of it almost in terms of, of, of being multiple. And, and the way I kind of try to do that or not train myself, but kind of on that direction is I try to hunt a new state every year that provides me with different terrain, different habitat, different scenarios, different weather, like to where anytime I get into a situation, I'm building kind of an analog in my mind or a repository of experiences that I can draw on that I might see something in Kansas, like a fence crossing or something like that, and I get to a place in Pennsylvania and like a big woods piece, and they couldn't be more different. But the land and the setup might lay out the same. And I can immediately go, this is how I need to hunt this, right? And this is what I need to do to do it, or the gear I might need to do or use to do it. And that way I'm just kind of able to be multiple in my setups and I'm flexible. That way, no matter what the situation calls for, I don't feel out of my element. I feel like I'm equipped. And that's really kind of how I approach it, which is why I kind of use a, use a saddle and I use a couple of different methods of climbing depending on how f- long I might need to hike or scout or whatever the case is. Um, and so I try to have my gear kind of be able to be adaptable in the same way, whether it's using a ghillie, a ghillie jacket or, you know, wearing solid colors, depending on what habitat I'm going to be in. And just, you know, I try to be as flexible as I possibly can. Yeah. You mentioned solid colors there. I myself mm-hmm. am a huge fan of wearing solid colors. Um, for for a multiple of reasons, some that are, you know, uh, experience based, some I guess more scientific, and some just I'm just not into the the I don't know the the clicks that are associated the fashion, the fashion yeah. statements, the clicks that are associated with um, uh, certain brands. So mm-hmm. let me ask you a question: What is your take on camo in a hunting scenario? Man, that's always a loaded question, right? (laughs) Um, My take on camo is this. I think there's a difference. Depends on how people define camo. If they define it as the pattern, that's one kind of perspective. If they define it as apparel, is a different, right? And so the apparel side of things, I think there is value in the companies that make high-level technical gear. Because just I'm going to speak candidly. It's like I've worn the Walmart stuff growing up, you know, and I've worn the the high level stuff that's out on the market from most of the top level technical apparel brands. And there's a huge difference in their performance and the durability and its ability to kind of keep you dry, keep you warm, keep you cooler, like all those things. There is a, there is a difference in it. So in that in that regard, you know, I do try to wear high quality garments because I just, you know, hunting's important to me and I can't have. I can't have stuff fail while I'm out trying to do the thing I love to do. Like, it's just not acceptable to me. Right. Um, But with that being said, when we're talking about camo specifically, I think the ability to break up the human outline 
and stay in shadows and not be skylit or highlighted is more important than the than the pattern that you're going to wear. Right. I think that that understanding your cover is more important than the camo that you're going to wear. I think understanding how you're going to give the deer the wind and how you expect that deer to come in is more important than the camo that you wear. You know, so that's why for me, it's like I just started kind of wearing solid colors because I realized it was less less about me blending in and more about me staying hidden, to be honest. Yeah. You know, it's like if I'm trying to blend in, I'm still I'm still out. I'm, I'm still kind of visible. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to, you know, kind of look like my surroundings. But if if I'm truly trying to be invisible and, and staying out of like their line of sight through using cover and vertical and horizontal breakup and things like that then the camo really doesn't matter at that point, right. you know? And, and it's the old saying that like, you know, look, my pappy shot shit in you know, green and blue plaited flannel shirts and jeans, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's not necessarily a requirement. Does it buy you something in an elevated set? Because those colors, you know, in, in, uh, are, 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 are different than what you see on the ground. Sure. Um, but I still think if you're getting in the right breakup and things like that, and you're not sitting in a bare tree that doesn't have any branches or leaves or anything behind it, I still think you can, you can stay hidden and stay concealed. Right. And when it comes to that, that exact thing is, I mean, regardless if I'm wearing anything camo or a solid color, I tell you, I've been setting, I set my tree stands up on the back end of where of a tree where I think all the mm-hmm. movement is going to come. So if I think uh, yeah. if uh, the tree stand is coming or the movement's going to be coming from trail a, I'm going to have my back to trail a or s- slightly off of, mm-hmm. you know, not a hundred percent away from, from it because I still need to get a shot, but it allows me to move around a little bit more. And there's something between me and the deer movement, right? Yeah. So the deer is blocking that. Yeah, that's a great point because I really became more comfortable making the transition and not really caring about what I, you know, what I wear. Because some stuff I wear now, like whether it's tops or whatever, it's like I'll just I'll have picked up at the Army Surplus store. Like one of my favorite things is like this military liner jacket. It's almost like it mimics like what is now Primalof jackets. They're just super warm. It's an old military liner jacket. It's one of my favorite things to wear. It's warm. I don't care if it gets ripped. I bought it for nine bucks, you know. Um But to your point, that's one of the benefits and one of the things that really kind of sold me on, you know, I don't need to spend, you know, a bunch of money on specific camo or whatever. I'll spend the money on good technical gear for the right layers. But it was once I kind of got into a saddle and stuff like that, because to your point, it's like I position myself always to where I'm the tree is in between me and where I think the deer are going to come from. And in, in the instance where a deer shows up where it's not supposed to, that's the one benefit, in my opinion, you know, of using a saddle is that I've walked around a tree as the deer was moving to keep the tree between me and the deer's eyes. Yeah. And the deer never, and the deer never saw me and where it came from, you know, I was, I was kind of hung out the dry because it was the one setup where I thought they were going to come from a certain direction. I had break up from that direction. The other side, if they came from, I was going to be naked essentially. Yeah. And what, you know, that's where that deer came from, <laughs> of course. And, uh, it's the only deer I've ever seen come from that direction. And I just used the tree to my advantage and kept the tree between me and the deer. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that to me was like, at that point was, you know, I was like, all right, I, I don't need, there's no reason for me to spend money just for the sake of camo or anything like that. I can get away with keeping myself hidden if I just, if I'm just smart about my setups and smart about my, how I approach things. Right. So you've mentioned you're a saddle hunter. Um, yeah. talk to us about what was, what was the final straw? What's, what said, what did you say? You, man, you know what? I'm going to give this saddle hunting thing a try. 
Dude, I'm five eight and ty- I was tired of carrying three foot sticks. Like, <laughs> is is what it came down to. Um, you know, it, it, it's the weight savings is nice and stuff like that. It, it was more one of those things whenever I wanted to, when I wanted to become, you know, more multiple in my hunting setups. I, I didn't want to. I'll put it this way. When I carry a stand in somewhere, you know, I'm not a big dude. So it, it a lot of times is outside of the frame of my body. So going through brush and stuff like that, it's like there's an issue of me not understanding that I'm like four inches wider than I am normally with my body size, but the stand on me essentially. Right. So that was that was the one thing Two, if I hoof the stand and sticks in to, you know, a piece of public somewhere that I'm hunting, I almost felt obligated to set it up and hunt out of it because you know, damn it, I carried it a mile and a half. I'm going to hunt out of it. Where with the saddle, it kind of removed all that to where I never feel an obligation to set up somewhere. You know, it's like I'll walk in with a saddle and if the best setup is on the ground, I don't feel like, oh, I carried all this stuff in with me. I should set it up, you know, because I'm literally carrying in a platform and at most two sticks, a lot of times just one stick. And that was really the kind of the straw that that broke the camel's back from at least a trial standpoint. Like, uh, let me check this out. And then once I used it, and understood how much of an advantage that I personally felt that it would give me staying hidden from deer and having shot opportunities basically around the entire tree, depending on the size of the tree. Like if you're hunting a tree that's like, you know, gigantic, you're probably not gonna be able to shoot all the way around it. But if you're hunting a a tree that's, you know, basketball size or smaller at your climbing height, like you can, there's basically not a, a blind spot on the tree that you can't shoot to. And I just kind of thought about that. And I was like, look, I'm a working guy. Like, every other normal person out there probably listening to this podcast that has a nine to five and tries to get out in the woods as much as I can. But the reality is, is that's limited. And I don't want my one shot opportunity that I might get at a target deer that I have to be limited because of the fact that he's three feet to the left behind this tree that I can't get around, you know, and that's the only opportunity I'm going to have that, you know, this year. And so once I kind of realized that that was, you know, the final kind of nail in the coffin. Like I, I think it was the first hunt out of the saddle. I killed a doe that slipped behind this bush. And while she was behind the bush, I walked around the entire to the front side of the tree from the back where I was originally positioned. And she popped out behind that bush and I, I arrowed her and she had no clue that I was there. And it was probably uh, like a 10 or 12 yard shot, you know? And so once that happened, I was like, all right, I'm sold. I was like, that was a shot that in that setup, if I was in a tree stand, I either would have been picked off or I would have never got the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So aside from a saddle, what other piece of equipment or gear fits you into the category of what type of hunter you are? Oh man. Uh, this is going to sound, this is going to sound really kind of lame, but my, my boots, Okay. <laughs> I think, you know, um, only because as much walking and hiking as I do, you know, it's, if I don't have good boots, like I'm, I'm pretty well going to be screwed. Um, and I've struggled with that. Like I've gone through, you know, different forms of rubber boots. I've gone through different forms of hikers and hunting boots and, you know, and it wasn't until this year that I finally broke down, you know, and I've wore like the Solomons and I've wore the Under Armors and the, you know, the, the lacrosses and like you name it and I've tried it and they've either, you know, weren't super comfortable or they lasted maybe six months of me putting miles on them. And then they, they crapped out on me. Um, you know, and so, and just to kind of give an example, it's like, you know, my home state, it's, you know, like a lot of folks, I'll kind of know generally where I want to be. There's still scouting in season that has to happen to find where the, 
oak, the oak tree that's dropping acorns that time of year or where they're finally opening up scrapes in an area or even just to get away from pressure or whatever. But especially when I go out of state, I mean, there were, there were days last year when I was in Missouri that, you know, that was a completely freelance hunt where I didn't, I only map scout or e-scouted it before I got there. Um, and never set foot on any of those pieces of property. I hunted three different pieces of, of, of public while I was there and all across the state. And there were some days where I was doing six miles, just trying to find hot sign, trying to find where I was going to set up. And, you know, you don't realize how important your boots are until like you're walking through, you know, river bottoms and through swamps and, you know, through, through, through water. And it's 80 degrees one day and 40 degrees the next day. And, you know, and you're putting on those kind of miles. It's like, you got shitty boots. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a rough couple weeks. Yeah. Um. You know. And so this year, it's like I finally broke down and just like I bought myself a pair of Kenetrex. You know. I was like, I'm finally gonna buy like the expensive pair of hunting boots. And if these don't work, then I don't know what I'm gonna do. And wore them all. You know, scouting in the off season, and you know, wearing them now to hunt, and they're comfortable. They took a little bit to break in. They're stiff. Um. They're hard scrabble. The hard scrabble ones. Um. But you know, to this point, like they don't leak, which you know has they've lasted longer this point than any other boots that I've had that are just like normal hikers. Yeah. Um, so I'd say my boots, man, like those, those are critical for me. Yeah. I tell you what, that's the same way with me. Like <laughs> I'll be honest. I was using rubber boots pretty much only because everybody else was using rubber boots. Um, right. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden I was like, I, there was one day in the tree stand. It was real cold. I'm like, these things aren't doing shit. They're not, yeah. I mean, they're cold, they're heavy. I lose dexterity just walking the terrain and climbing the tree. So w- there's three negatives right there. And then mm-hmm. that's when I bought my first pair of uh, boot covers from Arctic Shield. And that changed yep. everything. So now I just 100%. wear my, I wear my uh, hiking boots in and put my boot covers on. And I've lo- mm-hmm. like, everything's a win now. Yeah, 100%, man. And I, I did the same thing because like the, my big thing was is my... One, all the walking, but two, my feet were always cold because they were sweating in rubber boots. Yeah. And, you know, and I could never keep warm feet. And so I was like, I'd rather just have like dry feet that are cold than wet feet that are cold. So, you know, I kicked into the curb, did the same thing. Like I used Arctic Shields uh, for a couple seasons. And then I got turned onto this tip by my buddy Byron that I started using where I just take a pair of like really thick wool socks and I cut the base of the toes off of them. I carry those with me whenever, you know, during the winter, whenever it's, when it's cold out and even during rut, because it gets, you know, get chilly during, you know, November, you know, at some points when you get good cold snaps, but where I just basically take those socks and roll them over the, just the ends of my boots over where my toes are at to keep my toes warm. Yeah. And it works like, a, and it works like a champ, you know, and I was the same boat, man. It's like going back to what I was saying about, you know, scent control stuff earlier. You know, I was wearing rubber boots because, by God, that's what everyone said you need to do. Like, keep your scent free. They won't ever be able to know that you're there, you know, keeping your scent off the ground. And, like, the reality was, is like, I watched deer cross my <laughs> cross my my my, uh, my access and hit my scent trail and the, my, hit my ground scent even when I was wearing rubber boots. And I was like, man, this kind of seems like bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. and my feet are cold. So what, what am I doing? Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your layering strategy, if you have one. Mm. I do, man. And it, and that's funny, you know, it's, that's probably one of the last things that I really kind of figured out and got kind of optimized for how I like to hunt. Cause yeah. I was always just carrying too much, you know, where I was wearing too much in and I wouldn't wear enough and I'd get cold. And so really what I've kind of gone to now is, you know, let's say like, you know, you and I are talking now, it's just, you know, very last day of September, beginning of October, you know, I'll wear a pair of, you know, Merino wool kind of outer pants, um, 
you know, I, I like the first light ones because they're just they're nice. I like them just straight brown. It's a, you know, a solid color. Merino wool, especially whenever I'm traveling and stuff, it's like they don't really get stinky. And, you know, I'll wear just like a regular pair of Merino wool, you know, um, uh, base layers, you know, for my for my bottoms this time of year. And I'll wear a thin Merino wool top and I might take that military jacket or I might take some type of like, you know, midweight you know, merino wool hoodie that I'll wear like over, over top. Like if it's, you know, for an evening hunt when the sun goes down, you know, if it, if the temp drops just a little bit, that's typically what I'm wearing. Like the early part of the season, I can get away, you know, for a while with that. Cause I get, I, I'll, I'm willing to be a little bit uncomfortable to not have to carry a bunch of stuff, you know? So I'll kind of push that as far as I can. Um, when you hit like mid to later October, I'll basically wear that same thing. Um, but what I will do is I'll throw a vest on, you know, and so this will kind of range from like, um, the catalyst vest that, you know, first light has, like, I like that one. If it gets a little colder, I might break out, you know, if it's windy, I might break out a stratus, uh, vest, uh, a Sitka stratus vest, or I do like the, um, uh, the fanatic vest. Like I've worn that a ton. And that's a lot of times what I'll turn to in the late season. And when it starts to get a little bit colder from my tops, I'll actually take that, uh, that military jacket liner with like a hoodie and put that on and a vest over top of that. And that basically will carry me all the way through late season. Like I rarely ever wear a full sleeve jacket. It's always some form of, you know, base layer, mid layer. If it's really cold out that military liner jacket and a vest in the, in the, in the thickness or the warmth of the vest will depend on, you know, how cold, how cold it's going to be. And the only thing I'll really change on my bottoms is I'll wear those same pants um, I'll just up the the base layer, a merino wool base layer, to like a little bit, you know, thicker of a of a base layer. I've really found that First Light's base layers are really really good. Like they're probably my favorite base layer brand. Um, to this point, if it's going to be really really windy, I might change out of those merino wool shells, and I might then throw on the uh, Sitka Stratus pants because those I do like because they got the windbreak in them, um, and, and the or the Gore Stopper. And so I'll change that out when it does get super cold or if it's like really, really windy. But I usually dress pretty light, man, for all things, you know, all things considered. And that that kit will basically take me all the way through the end of January. Yeah. What about when it's really hot outside? Uh, Loincloth and war paint. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That that would be a crazy YouTube video. Man kills deer with rock in loincloth. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um you know, last year's rut was crazy because it was just so freaking hot. Yeah, it and, was. You know, and, and, and it, my season opens early in PA. I'm in a special regs unit. So my season opens right around usually any time between like the 15th and 19th of September, depending on how the dates fall, you know, in the in, in the month, year to year. And so I'm hunting, you know, early season in like the 80s. And sometimes it might even get up close to 90, but often, often in the 80s. And that's usually just like, you know. And this again, man, it's like, I'm not, I'm not brand specific, you know, that time of year, dude, I'm wearing no base layer pants. I don't care how sweaty I get. I'm just not putting another stitch of clothing on my body. Um, and I'm wearing these like Walmart $20 Wranglers that are like the active wear Wranglers, like for the money, dude, early season, my opinion, you can't beat them. And that's basically what I've been hunting out of pretty much up until like, you know, this, this coming week as I've been wearing that was just like a, um, a Merino wool long sleeve shirt only because I'm trying to keep the mosquitoes off me and that's it, you know, and that, and that's basically it. And as far as my socks go, like this time of year, you know, I'll wear just, uh, a thick like sock liner. Kenetrek makes a good thick sock liner where it's like, you can use it as a sock liner when it gets colder to put your Merino socks over top of, 
or you can wear it as just like a base sock whenever it's warm. And so I use those right now, and then I'll use those as a liner with a merino wool sock over it whenever it starts to when the temp starts to drop. Yeah. Um, do you do you wear synthetics at all? I do. I have some base layers that are synthetic, like um, you know most of my Sitka base layers are synthetic, if I, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, I like them. Uh, I just feel like after I started wearing merino wool base layers, like the breathability of them and just the performance of them, like to regulate your body temperature, like I just like it's hard for me to go to to move away from them. Like I'll yeah. use them whenever I just need to put something extra on. Like when I'm like, man, it's so cold out that I don't want to wear a, bu- a bunch of extra like uh, outer layers to be like the stay you know stay, stay puff marshmallow man. You know that's when I I might put on like you know, a merino wool base layer next to skin, then maybe a synthetic base layer over top of that. And then a mid layer or something like that. You know what I mean? But anymore, it's like, I almost always want to have the merino next to my skin. If I can, if I can, if I can do it. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. If I had to choose between only wearing merinos, merino wool or a synthetic, I'd choose merino, but yeah. I, f- I found this out. Um, and synthetics, in my opinion, don't necessarily dry my body as quick as mm. uh, Merino does, but I like synthetics in a, in a warm scenario in like an afternoon hunt where mm. I'm carrying in all my gear or I know I'm going to be sweating a lot. And there's mm-hmm. something about certain synthetics that it's almost has a cooling agent. It, the mm-hmm. synthetic mixed with your sweat acts as a cooling agent. It may not wick the the moisture away but it keeps your body temperature down as opposed right. to certain a merino wool that just it dries fast it keeps the it keeps the sweat off and the whole the whole point of sweating is to cool the body down so right. i was just gonna i was just yeah. gonna say that it's like that makes sense because like if you're wicking it you're actually losing your body's natural mechanism to cool your to cool yourself exactly so yeah. i've i found that i'm kind of a fan of the i'm kind of a fan of synthetics in the real hot you know, mm-hmm. the real hot scenarios over Merino, but then, you know, obviously in cooler temps or cold temps, you know, there's nothing that compares to, to Merino. Yeah. And, and truthfully, it's like, I might be rolling with Merino here during the hot temps only because that's actually the thinnest gear that I have. And so, because my synthetic stuff is a little bit more, uh, probably mid season base layer oriented is, is, is probably why I kind of lean toward that. But that makes sense, man. Like that's like, I, I could get down with that logic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Let's talk a little bit about wish. And th- I, this is kind of an off the cuff question. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not prepared for it, but, <laughs> uh, but if you're, if you think like gear, like I do, you've probably thought of it before. So I want to ask you, is there a product that you wish was made? Like that would help you do something better, uh, that there may, it may not be out there or maybe a, a twist or an addition or tweak to a product out there that, uh, you, that you wish, like, I don't know whether it's clothing or bow or an accessory that would just make your life easier. Yeah. And actually, dude, I didn't even need to think it came to me right away. Um, it would be something, and I don't know if it would be app. So, Okay. There's, there's a lot of different hunting apps out, uh, you know, on the market, you know, that all are, you know, I've used a bunch of diff- different ones and there's some, there's some killer, you know, uh, you know, map apps out there that are giving you a ton of information. What I wish existed. So when you get any one of these, you can usually almost always, you know, get 
wind direction. They're showing you what the prevailing is and stuff like that. And you look at it and you say, okay, I got a northwest wind today, and so I can hunt this spot for what's good for a northwest wind. But unless you've actually gone to places in wind maps, those places on specific winds at the specific time of year to understand what the thermals are going to do and connection with the the prevailing wind and what the what the actual you know, uh, wind current is going to do in that place. Like you really got no idea what the wind is going to do until you get there. Yeah. Like I wish there was some type of legit algorithm that could be used. So I would know more closely night, maybe not perfectly, but I would have a much better idea of what that wind was actually going to do in that spot. And that's a total wish list. You asked me to wish yeah. and it's almost probably impossible. Right. Yeah. But if there was some way to create an algorithm to where, you could at least take one or two of the variables to give me a better sense, right? Like say you're close to a body of water. I had this experience just last week. I was hunting close to some water and I had a wind that was almost like dead wrong for me and almost perfect for the, for the deer. And it was actually a morning hunt. I don't usually hunt mornings this early, but I knew that I had some deer kind of traveling through there and I had a, you know, a cell cam pick of a buck that had been frequenting that spot that the previous couple of days. And so I slipped in there. And when I got in there and got set up, I'm watching the wind and like the prevailing is doing what it's supposed to do. I can feel it on my neck, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, it's doing what it's supposed to do. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to get out of here by like 930 because it's blowing back to where they're where they're likely going to bed. And they're either going to slip through where I'm at in the morning because that's the time I've been watching or they're going to kind of come around me in a different area, kind of get behind me and then head into this bedding area. And then by nine 30, if it doesn't happen, I got to get out because at that point they're probably going to be getting back to bed if they're not already. And I'm going to blow the spot up. Yeah. And so I had already made that decision. And while I'm sitting there, I'm dropping milkweed and I'm watching in the water that I was close to, because we had a little bit of a temp drop and all of a sudden the ambient temperature air temperature fell pretty drastically overnight that, that evening or that night. And so that next morning, as it was rising, that that water didn't lose the same amount of temp that the, that the air did. Obviously, it hadn't started cooling yet. So my thermal was getting sucked out to that toward that water, and was actually pulling the prevailing more toward the water and giving me a better wind than I thought I was going to have. And so it actually let me hunt that spot until like ten ten thirty before I had to get out of there. Yeah. And so I got an extra I got an extra hour to hunt it. Um, and so it's, it's, it's stuff like that, that I wish that there was a way to, to like define prior to the hunt a little bit yeah. more. That way you could more accurately make decisions before you, before you walk in. I know that's probably pie in the sky, but that would be my wish list. I tell you what, that is an insane. I've thought about it before too, but that's insane because on certain, certain, um, of the, the hunting apps, it all, it just gives you a, like a cone right the mm-hmm. wind is going yeah. this way well we yeah. all know like we all know the wind doesn't just do that right right it, it, there's yeah. so many things that can go different i'm going to tell you my wish list and i thought about this while i was out in nebraska hunting property like ground that i had never hunted before so i want my hunting app to if i put a pin in a certain location and turn on this said feature i want to be able to see all of the ground that I can see, I would call it the glassing mm. app. So it highlights all of the ground that I can see around me, right? That's awesome. So if, yeah. I, if I'm at the highest point, I should be able to see 360, except for, you know, all of the, you know, the backside of all these hills or, you know, down in yeah. the bottoms if, if this is, uh, if, certain parts are blocking it but it highlights all of it and then as i move that pin i know where the best possible place to glass is so i can actually see the most surface area 
Yeah, and you should. Like, I mean, they should be able to do that because yeah. it would just be taking like the average height of a human of a of a, of a man or whatever, you know, which yeah. would probably be like five eight, and say like, all right, well, this would be your vantage point standing. This would be your vantage point potentially sitting, yeah. you know. And then outside of like not knowing how the shrubbery or tree line has changed over the course of time, you know, you know, that notwithstanding, it could probably give you a pretty good sense of what. Yeah, man, that's like they, they should totally be doing that. That's super yeah. smart, man. However, if they're able to figure out your wind direction, thermal uh, algorithm, I will I will go off grid because if they can do that, they can do anything. And they're listening to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like tomorrow's uh, update. Social media app develop app map app company now launches new feature. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Man, that would be crazy though if they if they could figure that out. I mean, I've yeah. known guys to go up into their tree stands and they let smoke bombs off or they even yeah. light small leaf fires from their tree stand yeah. just to see what you know what they do. And yeah. uh man, that's nuts. And that wind that wind thing, that's hard to hard to beat. Yeah, you know, it's and I try to do the best I can whenever I'm out scouting in the spring or if I'm checking trail cameras in the summer. It's like I'm always carrying milkweed with me and I'm, I'll look at my prevailing and stuff like that whenever I walk into those places and I'll drop milkweed. That way, over the course of time, if I've visited the place enough on enough different winds, I'll have a good idea of what I'm going to get. Um, but it's almost impossible to do, you know, 100 percent. And it's just like there's got to be something that if you're this close to the, uh, you know, just say for thermals, if you're clo- if you're hunting like a swamp and you've got a lot of water, it's like if you're this close to water and the and the temperature difference at this time of year between the ambient air and, and water roughly is X, right? You should be able to tell maybe what the current might do. And I'm not looking for 100 percent. I'm just looking to go like, am I completely screwed when I get there or is it worth going to check out today? Yeah. You know. All right. So the the last kind of question here I have for you is um is there any other product out there or piece of gear out there that just really makes you comfortable in in the tree? And that can be a a big product like a I don't mm-hmm. know, clothing or we've already talked about boots and the saddle. Or it can be something right. simple like uh a tree a screwing tree hook or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's two, there's two main things, man. Um, for me, as far as, as far as comfort goes, well, three actually. So one being, you know, a saddle hunter is understanding your, your tether height for your, for your comfort and stuff like that. Cause the, where you place your tether is ultimately going to dictate a lot of what your, a lot of what your comfort is. Like, you know, saddle companies have done a good job of creating, you know, customizations and stuff like that. Tether's got like the, the customized channels in, you know, in their, uh, it, within the bridge system and like a utility bridge and things like that to kind of help you make more fine tune adjustments. And so they've made a lot of great strides there and, 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 and that's killer, but ultimately, you know, understanding and just playing around with the tether height is really kind of optimal. The big thing for me this year though, was like something that I actually made that was just like a simple DIY thing. And I can't take credit for it. It was actually Greg Godfrey, you know, one of the guys who owns tethered actually made one and I saw his YouTube video making it and I was like, damn, that's slick. I need to make one of those. And so he essentially uses like a tree strap. It's called a hiss strap that you basically wrap around the tree. And it's basically um, webbing that has uh, uh, essentially like, you know, that has uh, uh, loops all the way around it, right? That's kind of sewn in to, to create these loops that kind of go all the way around it. And you wrap it around the tree and you can use that to hang all your gear, you know, whether you're using S-beaners or whether you're using, you know, carabiners or whatever the case is. 
But the always thing that always ticked me off was like anytime I got into the tree and if I was using like a, a you know a big S beaner to hang my bow on, it's like I could never kind of get it positioned right. It would always be like it would fall forward or it would kind of have like a weird tilt to it and just like and it would always kind of maybe hang off from the side of the tree a little bit and start to kick out because of the way the tree's leaning. And I just hated that because I was like, man, I'm all tucked in behind this tree. And like the one thing that's kind of flapping out in the wind is my bow because I can't get it to lay flat to the tree. And so what I ended up doing was taking a piece of Kydex and cutting it like thin a couple inches long and bending it and drilling holes in it and attaching it to where my quiver attaches to my bow. And then basically just attached my 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 uh, I use a, a tight spot. So where the you know, where the. Uh, I guess the, the bow holder, if you will, that's attaches to your, or I'm sorry, your quiver holder where it attaches to your bow. I just attach the kydex to that. That way I can attach my quiver to the side of it. And then I use that kydex hook and I just slip it in those loops. So now it's like, I don't have to carry anything to hang my bow. It's public land legal. And I'm not worrying about screwing stuff in. I'm not worrying about where I'm going to hang my bow. I'm not worrying about dropping an S beaner and not being able to hang my bow up and trying to figure out while I'm in the tree, while I'm in the tree, like what I'm going to do with my bow. It just always comes with me. It weighs nothing. It doesn't do anything to the accuracy of my bow. And that is like one of the things that I absolutely love. It's probably like one of my favorite pieces of gear in a tree because now I don't have to think about where, what I'm doing with that. I just take my quiver off, put my, put my arrow in, hang my bow. It's already attached to it. I can do it in the dark. It doesn't take a bunch of me fiddling around fine and stuff in my, in my pouches. And I actually made one for the back of my, uh, for the back of my quiver too. So I can just reach around and hang my quiver on the back side of the tree and just clip it into one of those hooks. It has a little, has a little kydex hook that I made for that too. Nice. So that's probably like my favorite piece of gear right now. Just made things simple and one less thing to lose because I don't know how many times I've lost an S beaner and had to figure out, all right, how am I going to hold my tree in a bow now? All right, well, we'll take a piece of paracord, tie it to this loop, tie it around my bow, and just hopefully I see the deer early enough that I can get my bow off this piece of paracord. Right. <laughs> I've been there before where I spent a whole night just sitting with my bow right on my lap. And yeah. that <laughs> sucks because I'm like, oh, man, I thought I had a hook in here. Well, yeah. or... You, I don't know if, if you've ever done this before, but you tear down your tree and you look up, you tear down yep. your whole set and you look up and your bow hanger is still up there and you're just like, God, do yep. I want to set up just to go get it or do I just go to the store and get, get a new one? Exactly, exactly. So it kind of removed all of that uh, that whole thought process for me. And so it's just, it's a really slick and it cost me next to nothing to make and I made it in probably like 15 minutes. So Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, Clint, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit here and BS with me. Uh, good luck this uh, upcoming season. If that, if you ever do find that app technology about uh, the wind direction and thermals, man, you make sure you let me know. Yeah, for sure, man. You'll be on speed dial, homie.